Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. That song that Camel just sang was especially appropriate today, and you'll see why in a moment. But all four of the Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, their chief importance is to show us the identity of Jesus. That's what they're all about. First and foremost, portraits of who Jesus is. And if this text that we just read from the gospel sounded familiar to you, you're not crazy, or maybe maybe you've been reading the Bible lately and have uncovered it, but essentially, while for most of the texts that we read, we'll read them once every three years so that we can go over the entire Bible, this story we read every year. And we read this story every year because it is found in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a very appropriate gospel for us to hear over and over again because it makes Jesus' identity explicit to us. It essentially yells it out. If you read the gospel narratives, you see people trying to figure it out. They're guessing, they're getting it wrong, whatever. You're trying to, yeah, you're trying to figure it out. Here, it is said. Now, there are two backgrounds for this text that we have right in front of us. The first is the Hebrew or the Old Testament background, which is the primary and most important background. This is all of Jesus' disciples were Jewish. They knew Torah well. They knew the, the looking out for a Messiah was everywhere at this time. And these people are looking for a Messiah in the line of David. And so Peter's answer to Jesus' question, is very much in line with Jewish, Davidic, Messianic expectation. And you'll see that a little bit in this sermon here today, but I'm not going to focus so much on that background today. Today I'm going to focus on the second background, because there are a number of things going on in this text. And Matthew is an excellent writer. Matthew is one who oftentimes intentionally has multiple meanings going on at the same time. So what is the second meaning? Well, I think you can easily miss it, because it's right there. We're tipped off to it right in the beginning of this passage. Right in that first sentence, it says that Jesus came into the region, the district, of Caesarea Philippi. That's our tip-off. Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is a land that used to be, that's a part of the Jewish promised land. It was a region known as Naphtali. But much like the Soviets could not handle, the atheist Soviets couldn't handle a city being named St. Petersburg, they renamed it Leningrad, same thing here. Neftali, this place where it used to be the worship of Abraham, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob took place there. Now, it's totally different. Now, actually, just a few decades before Christ, King Herod, maybe you've heard of him, he built a temple in this land. And it wasn't a temple to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a temple to the emperor. The cult of the emperor took place here. And maybe you've seen those History Channel talks about the Roman emperors and the worship of them. And you would pour a libation for the emperor because the emperor was kind of in the pantheon of the gods. So the worship, or once there was the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is now the worship of the emperor. And Philip, 
King Philip, Herod's successor, went a little step further, and not only did he continue the worship of the emperor at the temple there, but he renames the, the area Caesarea Philippi, which is essentially, he's naming it his Caesarville. And he does this essentially to, to show, like, he, yeah, he's, he's trying to give tribute to his patron, honor his, his lord, but you see what's happening there. St. Petersburg, Leningrad, now here, centuries, millennia before that, Naphtali is Caesarville. So, I say all that, I give all that background to say that Jesus' true identity isn't revealed just anywhere. It's not revealed in some backwater Israeli town where, you know, just a hundred people live there. No, Jesus' true identity is revealed here in Caesarville, a place where there's political jarnering. There's This is a place where people with $1,000 suits are, and they're all kind of vying for power. This is a place where there is not worship of the one true God, but of a man who set himself up as God. And here it is that Jesus asks his disciples, who do others, who do they say that I am? And like good Jews, they they say, well, you're like John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And John the Baptist makes a lot of sense because the person, the king who killed John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus, it is as if John the Baptist is raised up from the dead because he is in the vein of John the Baptist. Elijah makes sense also because Elijah is a prophet. And again, I talked about the Old Testament background, the Hebrew background. The people who are looking for their Messiah are looking for someone like Elijah, someone like the prophets. But then Jesus asks, well, but who do you say? Not who do they say, never mind what they say. Who do you say that I am? And here is where Peter, who we all love because Peter most of the time gets it completely wrong and makes us feel good about ourselves. Now here Peter gets it exactly right. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now here's where multiple meanings are happening here. Christ is just the Greek word for Messiah, the Hebrew word Messiah, the King. And the Son of God, well, David was called, he was a Son of God. Here, Peter is saying, yes, you are the Messiah. You're the Davidic Messiah. You're the ultimate King that we've been waiting for. But you see what Matthew's doing here is he's not just limiting it to Israel. Matthew here is expanding it in his presentation of this story. Matthew is explaining it by, by tipping us off to the fact that this happened in Caesarville. And this ends up, because of that, being a revolutionary act. Why is that? Well, in the ancient world, there were two anthems or two sayings. One is that Caesar is Lord. And the other is that Augustus was a son of the gods or the son of God. And so the reason that this is a revolutionary act is that Peter is essentially saying that Caesar is not Lord in Caesarville. Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. Augustus is not the Son of God, but Jesus is. So you see, the way Matthew presents this, this isn't just saying, here is the Davidic Messiah, here is the ultimate king that we Jewish people have been waiting for. He's also saying that he is the Lord of the cosmos, the way Caesar sets himself up as. 
This truly is a revolutionary act. This is as if you or me were to go out to Washington, D.C., maybe go on the Senate floor and say, impeach the president, which I'm sure many of you hope would happen today, and the others of you wish would have happened a year ago. I'm not going there. We can go there another time. But essentially, that's the gravity of this statement. This is a political act. This isn't in some backwater. This is there in Caesarville. We're seeing who Jesus is. But maybe you're like me and you don't know if you want another king. Maybe you have read the news or you've read history and you've realized that history is full of new kings. In fact, gospel was, the word gospel itself was really just a heralding of we conquered you, this person is your new king. And while that's supposed to be great news for you because this new king is the best king ever, all the people knew, okay, well, what are we going to have to, like, what new taxes are we going to have to pay now? How is this person going to subjugate us now? What are we going to have to put up with? So the news in and of itself that we have a new lord or a new king is not necessarily good news. Just think back to that first lesson that we read about Pharaoh. What if we're essentially saying we have a new Pharaoh, a Pharaoh who puts heavy burdens on us, a Pharaoh who, when we become too numerous, wants to kill our children? Jesus is not like one of those kings. And although I focus on the negative side, we have had decent rulers and good rulers. In our experience, and what we reflect upon, is most of the time that rulers are interested in One of three things. Either to puff themselves up, to subjugate their people, to serve themselves. But the key to this text, and for understanding Jesus' identity, is understanding just what kind of Lord Jesus is. What kind of Son of God in the vein of David? What kind of Lord are we exchanging for if we're not going to have Caesar? And as the text progresses, we come to see that unlike all the lords that we have ever known, this lord is not interested in puffing himself up. This lord doesn't even seem all that interested in being served. Of course, he wants us to follow him. But unlike, we talk about a good king as if it's like uh, Jon Snow in Game of Thrones. Well, he's a good king because he doesn't hang back when the armies fight the other armies. He's in the front line fighting with his men. That's, that's the, like, kind of the best we can come up with for a good ruler. But Jesus, on the other hand, is one who not only goes in the front lines, but tells his army to hang back. That's what the cross is. He's pouring down himself. He's laying his own life on the line. He gives, he's a ruler who gives his life away. And what ruler that we know of does this? We think we watch Braveheart and we think of Mel Gibson's character as William Wallace is like, oh man, what a guy. He just laid down his life. But this is a ruler. This is a king who has every right to have power, gives it away. It's like what Kanye West says, do you have the power to let power go? Profound Kanye West, thank you. So Jesus is not just any king, not just any Messiah, not just any Lord. The reason why this heralding in of this gospel news that Jesus is Lord and King is good news for you and for me is because our King is one who gives his power up for his people. 
our king is one who, in a prayer, will say in a moment, right after communion, his property is always to have mercy. What kings do that? What kings say? Maybe you saw that Oscar Schindler, uh, the movie, uh, the, what, I don't even remember what it's called. But essentially in that pivotal scene, Oscar Schindler is telling this the kind of Nazi uh, who's in charge of a concentration camp, the true power is to tell people, I pardon you. That's the kind of king we have in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of Lord. And that is why Peter and the rest of them gave their whole lives up to follow him. And that is why you and I can too. For Matthew does not leave this text. This is not a dead text. It's not just for them back then. This is a question posed to you and to me. Who do we say that Jesus is? Now maybe you, like me, we we don't have Augustus Caesar here today, or Tiberius, who was around at the time of Jesus, but we have other Caesars in our life. Maybe you're thinking in terms of the political climate, you're thinking of our ruler, but maybe you're thinking of the pharaohs that are less identifiable. Maybe you're thinking in terms of an addiction, something that subjugates you, something that you can't get out from underneath. Maybe it's our consumer culture and you just cannot not buy that thing that pops up on Amazon despite everything in you that doesn't want to. Or maybe it's more serious. Maybe it's something that's truly oppressing you or oppressing those whom you love. The message of this text is that the Caesars, the pharaohs in our lives, are not Lord. They are not the Son of God, that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus is working in us to release us from the chains of these Caesars of our lives. I'm reminded of that great verse that, because um, Jesus never, despite the fact that he is our Caesar and our Lord, he never promises us a happy, go-free life. In fact, he says the opposite. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have conquered the world. What Jesus did on that cross was defeat the Caesars in our lives, defeat the pharaohs of this world. And although he allows them to exert their worst, even now, we can take heart, for we serve a Lord who has conquered this world. We serve a Lord who is for us, unlike any of the Lords we've ever known. So my friends, I'm going to end it just the way Matthew presents it. The question that he gives to you, which is essentially asking, why are you even bothering being here this morning? Who do you say that Jesus is? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.